0: Want to know what's coming up on today's episode? Here's a preview.
1: My next patient was someone who's, I don't even know how the walls were, were staying up, that type of home. And they were in the exact same hospital bed. And I kept thinking like, you know, at the end of life, like we all die the exact same way and it really doesn't matter. And what matters more than anything is who's there for you. And who is around you and how did you feel like your life was lived and do you have happy memories to look back on because that mansion's not going with them?
0: Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com, and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that if you do daily are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days now take a deep breath feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love joy peace bliss and ease and remember Your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And friends, you're not going to want to miss today's episode. You probably know this guest over from TikTok from her new book. She is at Nurse Hadley. H-A-D-L-E-Y, and she is just an angel here on earth, I tell you. She is going to give you proof that there is another side, that there is a heaven, and really show you how to live your best life here on earth. Her new book is called The In-Between. I love this. There's a circle on the top, circle on the bottom, and we are here in The In-Between, The unforgettable encounters during life's final moments. And actually, we're not in the in-between. The people crossing over are in the in-between. And uh, Nurse Hadley is a end-of-life nurse in hospice care. She has worked with hundreds of patients sat by their bedside as they were passing. And she has listen to them, talk about their regrets, their advice in life and really is teaching people how to live in a much more profound way because that's what this work does. When you see people's final moments, it's an aha moment of how we can really live here each day. Nurse Hadley, thank you so much for your time and thank being you for here me. Thank you so much. Oh, yes, you're wonderful. So your new book just came out, and you have sat by the bedside of hundreds of people. I have so many questions I have written down here for you. Um, I'm ready. <laughs> yes. So so let's start by talking about this. You, you start out in the book talking about your story. You went to college. You had your son young. You were really just kind of like struggling to find something to support you both. You get a house, you get a job in nursing because you know it's going to provide a steady income for your family. And I think this is an angel story in and of itself. You I apply to. to be a hospice nurse, didn't get the job, but then one day get called over to hospice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they there was somebody there who like invited you, like, did, didn't did I see your name in the application? And you were like, yeah. She's like, do you still want the job? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Which was so amazing. Yeah. And I just happened to be the nurse that that family approached and was like, we need you to call in hospice. We need help. And I was like, okay, I'm on it. And it just happened. Yeah. Cascade of events. I totally agree. That's
0: amazing. So when you talk about loved ones being in their final moments, it is a very, very common. And we've seen this within a couple of family members who have passed in our family, where they see They're actually seeing them. They're physically talking to their loved ones in heaven. Talk to us a little bit about this.
1: Yeah, it happens very often. And I always say, because some people say, well, that didn't happen to me. And I always say, usually people will be in a coma the last couple of days. So I say, I do think everyone has someone come for them. But sometimes when that happens, they just can't tell us that it's happening anymore. But so many people will tell us that someone's there. And it's always very calm. It's never distressing. And sometimes even patients will be distressed because they're on hospice and they're dying. And then when their loved ones come to get them, it's very calm. It's very peaceful. And it's always very matter of fact. Yeah.
0: Like they're just there. What percentage would you say does this happen in? Because it doesn't happen in all of them, right?
1: Yeah. I'd say people tell me about it, about 30% 30% of the time.
0: That's fascinating because that's a huge percent. It is a huge percent. Wow. Now, do you ever see them or feel their presence too?
1: I don't ever see them. I never see them. And sometimes I do feel like you can feel their presence and it's very like, calm me. But yeah. that also I think has to do with the patient's energy, um, especially my more anxious patients. They will all of a sudden be very calm. And at yeah.
0: peace. We've had nurses on the podcast over the years talk about this, and they'll say that there are some nurses that they can open up to, but there are some nurses who are in situations where they just cannot talk about this with other nurses. And I think that you, you see that not just with nurses, but family members as well. When, when some family is passing, um, there might be part of the family that's very spiritual and believes that they're going on to, you know, a better, another place. And then some family who just doesn't want to talk about that. How do you navigate that?
1: Yeah. So usually what the family will tell me whenever they're not spiritual and they say that, they'll call me in because they'll say they're having hallucinations and you need to treat this. And I will go in and I'll say, you know, I see this with so many people and if they're still very hesitant to it and they're very like, this is not loved one, they are having hallucinations. I just tell them, you know, they're calm. They're at peace. We don't need to give someone medications that is calm and happy. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. That's interesting. One of the things that you talk about is that Sitting by person's bedside in these final moments, that you're not just a nurse taking care of them medically, but that you're also just emotionally kind of caring for them too, talking to them. They're telling you their life stories. They're talking to you about what they loved about their life, what they regret. What are some of the more profound moments that you can remember? And what have you taken away from that? And how maybe do you live different now?
1: Yeah, I live extremely different because I think a lot of times people, you know, you hear like, oh, you should live your life to the fullest. And I think people are like, yeah, I should do that. And like, one day I'll take that trip. And I think with every single day or every single week, I have people telling me they waited for someday and someday never came, or they're telling me their regrets. And I get this very often reminder that tomorrow is not promised. And it just needs to be done right now or as soon as you can. And you don't need to constantly live for the someday and buy the flowers, use the candle. You know, it doesn't have to be like going to Australia. Like it can be little things every day that make you happy. And that has helped me so much in my daily life to like look for the little happies like every single day. Yeah. And it adds up to like a very happy life overall, which I it think adds, is wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's joy, right? It's like finding joy in little things is a very profound experience. And that I think is taught in all of like the re- foundational religious text. of that little bit of joy, like you're talking about throughout your day, laced within your day really adds up to this momentous, joyful life. Do you find that you have had some patients who have lived their life that way and that they feel that joy? Because I don't know why I have this vision in my mind, but maybe it's because I don't really want to go one day. And so I think that the end of life is going to be hard or difficult or or just like all these negative things maybe coming up and you just regret this or you regret that and just the little things that you did wrong. Is it that way or do some people have a really joy-filled experience passing?
1: I'd say the people who have the most joy-filled passing are the people who are much older because their loved ones are on the other side. So they'll tell me like, my best friend's dead. My husband's dead. I'm starting to lose kids. I don't want to bury my kids. I want to be with them. I don't want to be here anymore. So they are less looking at regrets, and they're more looking forward to it.
0: When it comes to the regrets, what do people regret most? I'd say most is
1: the unfulfilled things that they felt like they, were, they could have done. And a lot of people, I think, whenever I say that, they think like, oh, I wanted to go to the moon, like something crazy. But when you talk to these people, sometimes they weren't crazy. Like they worked in a supermarket, but they wish that they would have gone to college and become a teacher. You know, something that is very reasonable, but the people around them were just not encouraging. And they were like, "I, I you know, I should have just gone for it. I always had an excuse. And, you know, it's, it's little things like that. Or I wish I would have just spent a little bit more time with my kids. I didn't realize how quickly the years would go when they were little. I hear that a lot, too.
0: Did that give you more encouragement to write your book? Because I followed your journey over on TikTok and how, you know, you came on one day and you were like, you know, I I just put through, submitted, you know, my book to all these literary agents and I got rejected from five and you're really open and honest. And you said that hurt, like I felt sadness and hurt after that, but you went on and your book went to auction and it got picked up by the biggest publisher worldwide, which is fantastic congratulations thank you Do you feel like the spirit behind all of the loved ones that you've worked with your patients they encouraged you to take that leap of faith yeah
1: absolutely someone once told me i think it's a popular quote but i remember a patient once told me that rejection is just redirection and i have repeated that so many times throughout this journey that you know if that wasn't meant for me that's okay um something better is coming along the road. And I totally believe that getting rejected by those agents was meant to be because the agent I have now is absolutely amazing. And I wouldn't have him if I wasn't rejected, I think like 20
0: times agents rejected me. Amazing. That's amazing. Friends, we'll get right back to the episode here in a second, but here's what I wanted you to know. Spirit has been channeling in this message of we need to be building communities, spiritual communities around the world where people can get together in person more. And so um, I had a period of a couple of weeks where Spirit was just waking me up in the middle of the night, waking me up, and I began toying with these different ideas of how we can do this. And I think we've put together uh, a really amazing concept of how we can build communities around the world. I am looking for volunteers. If you want to build out a community in your area, we're going to be bringing together a group of volunteers who's going to be building a community in their area. And if this is something that you're interested in, and we need people to help in different ways with um, marketing, actually running a group in their community, and it's not as much work as you would think it would be, maybe a couple hours a week. If this is something that you're interested in, I want you to raise your hand by emailing me over at juliejancis@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's Julie Jansis at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes below. Friends, I know that together we can build something very, very special. And uh, I can't wait for you to join in, hear about it, and help with this ginormous, amazing, miraculous volunteer project. I think we're going to be putting together an amazing network of souls and not trying to sell anything, just really bringing people together in community. This is just really on my heart right now. Um, So if you want to help, reach out. We'd love to have you as a volunteer. We'd love to help you set up a community in your area. The other thing I just want to say is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everybody who has joined the angel membership, who has booked a session, who's getting certified in the angel Reiki school. Thank you so much for just supporting the work that we do here. You make this podcast possible and you make it possible for us to do so much great work within the world. And I'm just really, really proud of this community because you have no idea and I'll talk about it in a future episode, but we are helping the world in many, many different ways. Um, You can also join us over on the free Facebook group, the Angels and Awakening Podcast Tribe on Facebook, where you can learn all about new stuff that we have always going on. Friends, I love you so much. Here we go back into the episode. Okay, so you also talk about one of the things that you have learned from your patients is instead of chasing things, money, prestige, titles, that it's really at the end of your life what you're going to want most is to have chased happy memories. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've had people say that quite a few times and it's very interesting because On Hospice will deliver hospital beds to anyone. It doesn't matter what your financial status is. So it's very interesting. I started noticing this as I go throughout my day because I take care of, the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor. And that's in the same day. And one day I noticed, I was like, you know, there was someone in a hospital bed that was like in the most magnificent mansion I've ever been in. And then my next patient was someone who's, I don't even know how the walls were were staying up, that type of home. And they were in the exact same hospital bed. And I kept thinking like, you know, at the end of life, like we all die the exact same way. And it really doesn't matter. And what matters more than anything is who's there for you and who is around you and how did you feel like your life was lived and do you have happy memories to look back on because that mansion's not going with them.
0: Yeah. Have you encountered this? Because this came up in our family where my grandfather was passing. He was in hospice. I don't think that everybody understands exactly what hospice is or maybe doesn't understand what that means. And the kids in the family were told that grandpa is not doing well, but my grandmother did not want everyone to see him. They didn't want everybody to remember him like that. And so she asked everybody not to come because everyone was ready to get on a plane and go down. It's one of my mom's biggest regrets, listening to my grandmother. Because after my grandfather passed, my grandma told her, told my mom, dad was asking where all the kids were Mm. at the end. And it just crushed my mom's spirit because. She's like, well, I would have been there. You told us not to come. What do you do? Do you see that a lot? And is it better to respect the wishes of the living parent? Or I know for myself, as I have lost different people, I would need to go. Like who I am now, like not being there when my dad passed, not getting to say goodbye was heart-wrenching. I need to go. How do you prioritize people's needs? Because you have three different people's needs in that scenario and everybody wants a different thing.
1: Yeah. So what we have to do, so legally someone is in charge and it usually is the spouse. Yeah. So they do actually get the say if the patient can't decide for themselves, they, they're number one, the patient is. So in situations like that, I honestly believe that having a calm environment matters a lot more. And if your mom would have gone and they would have been arguing, I actually think that would have been a lot worse. I've Mm -hmm. had patients say to me where families have come and everyone's arguing, they are aware of it, even if it's not in front of them. And Mm -hmm. I actually had a patient not too long ago where I said, what can we do to like make you feel peace? Because I could just tell she was very anxious and she was like, I need my kids to stop fighting. That is the only thing that I want. So I pulled them aside and they were like, we have been fighting outside. We have not let on at all that we are fighting in front of her. And I was like, well, she knows and she can feel it. And, you know, it's causing her to be worried to leave. Yeah. And she's hanging on because she feels like if she, she's not leaving on good terms and y'all are all going to be fighting with each other. So I don't think that those are good situations at all. Yeah. And so – You know, if that was your grandmother's wishes, sometimes I think we have to respect that because it is understandable, in my opinion, death is not always pretty. And I think that what matters so much more is all of the memories you made over the life, not necessarily just at the end.
0: Yeah, 100% when it comes to a transition process where somebody's here and they're transitioning to the other side and i love that image on the front of your book the in between because it it shows it so beautifully there really is this energy of a person bridging both worlds for a while where you can connect with them you can still talk to them here But they are not fully here. And as an energy healer and a person who does this work, it is an energetic vibration that you can feel and you can feel a part of them on the other side. Mm -hmm. What does that feel like to you when you tune in to that energy? And what do you think is really happening there? Is it that the soul is almost kind of leaving the physical body slowly
1: yeah, that's what I think. And, you know, normally whenever you see it, it'll be like, my I have one right right now, actually, that is doing that. And when I go in, he recognized me and we have such a good relationship and he'd always joke around with me. And he says hi to me and, you know, greets me like normal. But throughout the visit, I'm talking to his wife. We're talking about medications and his vital signs. And he's looking at other people. And he's mumbling to other people. And it's like, we're not there. So in my opinion, it's like he's with that world. But then if I go and I touch him and I'm talking to him, he'll come back and he'll talk Mm -hmm. to me. And I find that people gradually, you know, I'll see him again. I know that next time I see him, he'll probably not be able to be in our world at all, in my opinion. He'll be fully over there. And, And you can feel it whenever you walk in And I know that myself and a lot of hospice nurses can say that, you know, when someone's about to die, even though scientifically, you know, we really don't know. Like scientifically, you don't know someone's last breath is their last breath until the next breath never comes. Mm -hmm. But I think myself and many other hospice nurses, we do know when someone's last breath is, you know, that 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 is their last breath.
0: Okay, so let me run this past you, because... What I think is very fascinating is I work with people in a different capacity that have ailing loved ones towards the end of life, but it's almost to me as if the death process is maybe even longer than we think about it because people who are passing from an older age, it's almost as if that process can start two, three years earlier where For about two, three years, they can bounce back and forth where we think that they're very sick. We think that they're going, but then they rally and then start things start to go back downhill and then they rally. And this can be, I don't want to say like you know, poor us who are still living here. But I've just heard from so many of my clients like, Julie, this is so hard because here I am, I'm trying to take care of work and I have to leave work to go to a different state to be with them and, you know, make sure that the kids are fed and they're okay at home while I leave. And this happens off and on for a couple of years before they really get to a point where from my perspective, what I see is that they're truly ready to let go think that there's something happening within the passing process where we almost don't know how to let go at first. We don't know how to detach from our responsibilities, our roles, our loved ones here. Do you see that too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times when I feel like people are holding on, because people will, like I will get people from the hospital where the doctor says they won't, they will not survive another day. So I'm like, okay, because usually we'll try to schedule admissions during the day. So we're not there in the middle of the night for the families. And they'll say, well, you need to do it right now. They're not going to last through the night. So I'm like, okay. So I go and I do it. And, you know, we think that they're going to die that night and they don't. And so then I get to know them and they stay on for another month or so. And A lot of times what I will find with that, in my opinion, it's mostly men who were the caregivers and they are very afraid to leave their wives. And I have to explain to the wives, you need to start telling them that you are going to be okay. Yeah. And you need to tell them, I will be okay. I will meet you on the other side. The kids are going to be okay. Like you don't have to worry about me. And I think that whenever there's those roles of the caretaker, whenever the caretaker is leaving first, and sometimes that's women who have caretaken caretook the men the whole life. And they're very worried about them. And I say you have to show that you're gonna be okay in order for them to let go.
0: But that's not true for everybody. Like you not talk everyone. About- Like there are some people, and I can feel this energetically immediately when I work with a widow or somebody who's lost their life partner, where you can feel immediately that this person is like, I am the saddest I have ever been, but I am going to find purpose. I am going to be here. I am going to somehow, some way with time, I am going to come back and I am going to live my life. And then there's other people who you talk about this too, passive, a broken heart. They have this broken heart and you can feel almost an energy within some of these folks that they're, they don't have, I don't know if it's the will or the strength to just go on without mm-hmm. that person.
1: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes in my opinion, people have to fake it. And I had to say like, you have to say that you're going to be okay because they Like you said, they come to me and they're like, I can't handle this anymore. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I haven't slept in weeks. Like, how are they still here? Like, this isn't even medically possible. And I'm like, I know. Like, we see it. And I say, you know, you can try to tell them you'll be okay. And those people, you know, now you read my book, the one that was not okay. Those people, we identify them now very quickly. And we make sure that we're following up with them a lot. And there have been people that I am very worried about. I find that giving them another sense of purpose is very important. So like one widow that I've been, you know, keeping in touch with for years now, her purpose for the longest time was caring for her husband, many years until he finally died. And her now purpose is that she is the person who outreaches to new widows and she helps them through and she's caretakes them now in my opinion that's but amazing. at the beginning i was very worried about her
0: yeah and we talk about this a lot too in spirituality but i think that this is just so fascinating for the listeners to hear they know that i've had suicidal thoughts in the past and that i talk about you know when that deep negativity comes in that we have two choices we can really attach to that negativity And really let it take us further and further down. Or we can find strength and purpose. And God has us here for a reason. We need to be here for a reason. We're going to keep going for God, universe, source, for our families here. And find that purpose. And I think it's so interesting because that's what I just heard you say too. Is that purpose is an energetic force that allows people to continue on here in some of the toughest points of their lives
1: yeah absolutely and I think that sometimes people will find what they think is purpose and it's not where they will throw themselves into taking care of the kids but they're losing themselves I think it's very important to find like your own purpose and not necessarily always put your purpose into other people although I know I said the widow does that but I mean it's getting her through the day but I do hope that she also finds something for herself one day
0: yeah that balance of both. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. One of the other things that you talk about is that people regret, and we we touched on this earlier, but I think you said it in just such a beautiful way, not doing the thing in their life because as you said, and I don't know if somebody said this to you, but you wrote five, 10, 15 years is going to pass anyway, and you're going to be five, 10, 15 years older. And if there's something that you want to do or something that you want to accomplish, just go do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A patient did say that to me and I thought it was so profound and, you know, I'd never really thought about it that way, but I totally, I totally understood where you're like, you know, medical school is such a good example where people are like, oh gosh, eight years to become a doctor. Like that is so long, but I never had really thought about it. Like oh, wow, like, yeah, eight years is going to pass regardless. And you can either be a doctor in eight years or you cannot be, but you can't just stop time. Amazing. I think
0: that when you think about it that way too, it's such a way to live your life as a journey instead of just like, I don't know, I think it's a a much better way to live.
1: I totally agree. I completely agree. And just, you know, small things every day to get you toward that goal. Yeah.
0: Yeah hundred percent how do people pass peacefully how do we ourselves i think this is a question on everybody's mind how do you have the most peaceful passing possible and how do we help our loved ones as they go through that to have the most peaceful passing possible
1: yeah i think it's very individual uh the first question i ever ask patients is what what would a good next few months look like for you And it's different for every single person. And I didn't start asking that until a couple of years in until I realized that just because I think that this is what would be an amazing last few months of my life doesn't mean that that is for someone else. So for some people, that is just being in their home, reading books, being surrounded by as many family as possible, doing that. And for other people, it's being as independent for as long as possible. And being able to go to the grocery store for as long as possible or still go to the movies, whatever that is for them. You know, at the end of life, the very, very end, we do have medications we can give in case people are having any pain because diseases can be painful. Yeah. And I think that being able to give them gives people the best death possible if they need it. Not everyone does. And having their family there, I personally think being at home is more peaceful than being in the hospital because we can really be there one-on-one. The nurses can be, you have a caregiver or family who's there really being one-on-one. But for some people, the hospital's better. So it's just kind of personal, whatever they want. There are many people who will say, I don't want to die in my home. I don't want my kids to have that memory. I find that those are people who are more like my age and they'll go into the nursing home or our inpatient unit. And it's really just different for every single person.
0: Yeah. I had another question, but this one keeps coming to me. When I was really young in my 20s, I read about how funerals used to be different, and that we used to have funerals inside our houses, and that People would come to your house. The body would be in the house, and people would just gather, and and that's the way it was. Do you think that that we've lost a piece of our spirituality with the way that funerals are just so distant?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that that is something that we really need to get back to. And we we're talking about earlier before we started recording about my nonprofit that I want to open, yeah. and. What actually ignited that was that I had a patient who told me that she did not think anyone cared about her. She had family, and I was like, what do you mean? Like, you have kids, they're here, and she's like, I just, I don't really think that they really care about me. I think it's an obligation, and all I could do was really listen, and I went to her funeral, every single child got up there and was crying and just saying how much of an impact they had made on her life, a very vulnerable, real way. Had they, She was a wonderful role model, wonderful mom, just all these amazing things. And all I could do was sit there and think, I wish she could have heard this while she was still here. And I'm sure she did hear it, but while she was still on earth. And that is one of the big things I want to do with my nonprofit is have a space where people are encouraged to come and share those things before they die.
0: Wow. That's incredible. How are you going to set that up? Because I'm sure you're going to have people around the world who want to do this.
1: So I'm hoping I'm going to start locally with my first one. And then I'm hoping to kind of, I guess, franchise it. I know that sounds like a corporate term, but basically franchise it. And my idea is that whenever you come, we have, it's called respite and hospice. So the government will pay for like five days for someone to go into a home for like a break. Yeah. And so I want you to be able to invite anyone you want. Your caregiver can stay with you. And then I want for every patient to have one night where it's like a party. Like they can invite whoever they want. Everyone gets dinner, champagne if they're up for it. And you do toast to someone's life. And um. I think that with funerals, like we were talking about, People will not take the time to come until there's a funeral. And I think it's more important to come like in that setting.
0: I love this. You're starting like a whole new thing, a living funeral.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: Yes, that's amazing, amazing. And just side note here: look at the structure of Easter Seals because they're a nonprofit, but they have chapters all over the United States. So it could be something set up business structure wise like that. Easter Seals, yeah. Okay, yeah, I will. Perfect. Here's what I was going to say before. One of the things that I've learned from you, and I would not have known this, and other than like following your TikTok, is That when a person is at their very end of life, there are some times, I don't know if it's because it's in their will or or what they want, but somebody would go in and try and save them and do chest compressions, which Mm -hmm. is causing a lot of pain, which can break ribs. And then you can't give them medicine because it's going to lower their heart rate even more. And the family is taken out of the room at that time or we could just have a peaceful passing and say we don't want any of that. Who do you need to let know? Like, because I just want the peaceful passing. So who do I let know? Do I need to put it in my will? Do I need to let my family know? How does this work? Yeah,
1: so there's a document called Five Wishes that is legal in pretty much every state except I think like two or three. And you can fill it out. I have one. And just your person who would be making decisions for you You give it to them and it's amazing. It's like a little workbook. I mean, it's just, I don't know, maybe 10 pages and it goes through all of your different options and it explains the pros and cons of each. So for example, CPR, do you want to have CPR? And I think a lot of people think of CPR as just another medical intervention that you're going to do when someone is dying. And I don't think most people understand that if you're getting CPR, you're already dead Mm -hmm. and you're being brought back to life. And I will very gently tell my patients that, especially when they're in their 80s or 90s, because whenever you say, do you want to be brought back to life if you die of your cancer or of whatever? And they go, oh, no, no, no. If it's my time, I need to go. And they don't understand that mm-hmm. CPR means you have died. And so if they don't have those documents in place, we we have to do it or okay. we can get in tr- a lot
0: of trouble. <laughs> so if the person wants the CPR, the family has to be ushered out of the room.
1: In some places, that's what I see down here. I know other people have commented that that's not their hospital policy. I think it depends on the hospital, but if we are trying to bring someone back doing CPR, doing everything, I mean, it's all hands on deck. I mean, you can have tons of people in the room, so it's just gonna be, you know, making sure that the medical professionals can be in the room. Got it. You got know, it. over the family. And sometimes people do say, I don't think you want to watch this because it's extremely traumatic.
0: And that is something that I, I've talked about with a couple of friends who witnessed that. And, and I think if it is your preference, then you can go and find that document, Five Wishes. And can one of your things be in that document? Like, you know, I just want my family there with me. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It goes through everything. It even goes through... Do you want fluids at the end of life? I mean, everything, antibiotics, like what would you want? And then you can like write in. So I have one and my husband knows that if there's any chance that I'm going to be like basically a vegetable, yeah. I, I don't want to be put on any type of things. Tube feeding is another big one that we need to make decisions on. Mm-hmm. You know, at what point do we want to be artificially basically kept alive?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Well, and these are hard conversations and they're not conversations that always feel good, but I think that they're conversations that we have to have. Oh, absolutely. And usually it's with your person. So the
1: way that the state looks at it, just so people know who you need to be having the conversation with, it's going to go to your spouse first. And then if they cannot make the decision, goes to your parents, if they're still alive, and then to your kids after that. So that's the hierarchy of who would be making those decisions. my husband knows what I want, but so does my mom.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. So you have tons of stories. I want you to share some of your stories. You've got, I think it's 12 of the best stories in this book. And, and really, if anybody wants just a read this summer that is going to lift you up and make you feel the best and feel so at peace, proof that there is a heaven, like this is the book for you. But tell us some of those beautiful, amazing stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One that I really like is my eat the cake one. Is that That's what I call it, where I actually had an eating disorder for a while. And I had a patient who I feel like she was close to dying. She knew that. And most people did not know it, never mentioned it to me if they did. And she randomly, I was just there doing my regular visit, just typing on my computer And she was like, can I get something off my chest? I need to share this with you. And I was like, yeah, of course, put away my computer. And she was like, I really, really wish that I would have spent less time on the treadmill, less time avoiding situations that would have me having to eat cake, not going to the beach because I was worried about how my body looked. She said, I just wish I would have just eaten the cake and enjoyed my life because like no one's going to remember you because of, what your weight was or how you looked. They're going to remember that dinner that you went to where y'all laughed so loud people were looking at you and things like that. But don't avoid situations because of things like your weight. That was a really big one. And that one really, really changed my life.
0: You also have a story where you say that one of your patients who crossed over to the other side saved your life recently too. And this was at your house.
1: Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, um, which is not in the book. The book is just my first two years of my job in hospice. I've worked for six years now in hospice. Basically what happened, we had gone out of town for the weekend. We came back, dropped off our stuff, and we were like, oh gosh, the house smells horrible. Oh, we forgot to take out the trash. Took it out, went to the grocery store real quick for the essentials for the upcoming week. And I kept... I walked by this frozen section, and I had a patient who only ate this one brand of frozen pizza, and I'd have to make it for her all the time, and it's all she ate. I don't know why. And so I walked by it, and I was like, oh, okay, there's that pizza, you know, that box that I know so well. And she had died a few months before then, and kept going, doing my stuff. All I could think about was to get this pizza, and I kept thinking we don't even eat frozen pizza. And we have like a great little local place that charges the same. And I was like, I'm being so weird. Like, why am I even thinking I need to get this pizza? And I like couldn't even think straight. Like I'm looking at my grocery list and all I can hear is go get that pizza. Like go get <laughs> pizza. And I was like, what the heck? So I was like, you know what? I'm getting the pizza. Like, let's go. So we go, we get home. We sit down on the couch, you know, exhausted. We're trying to call the local pizza place. They won't answer. My husband tried to call. I tried to call. They just, like, won't pick up. And it's not extremely late. They always pick up the phone. Just super strange. I was like, you know what? I actually got this frozen pizza. And so I was like, this is why I got a frozen pizza. And husband was like, okay, whatever. So I go to preheat the oven, it like beeps to say it's preheated, I go in the kitchen, and the entire oven was on fire, like the entire thing. And so I scream, of course, tell my husband, he was able to put it out. And of course, fire department came, they did a whole investigation for insurance. And there was determined that there was a gas leak. And the fire investigator told us that he thought that if we would have gone to sleep that night without turning on the oven, that we would have all died in our sleep. And I was like, oh, my gosh. At first, I didn't even put together the pieces until months later whenever he told us that. And I was like, wow, because I had no intention on turning on that oven.
0: Right. Well, and this is exactly like that story I was telling you at the beginning where my dad came through. I always assumed when I was a little girl and you'd hear people talk about psychic mediums or hearing from the other side, that it's like this person's booming voice comes in and it's not your voice. But I truly believe with all my heart that the voice that you heard when you were in the grocery store, you got to get that pizza, you got to get that pizza. That was your intuition. And that's your line of communication with your spirit team on the other side. And how they're able to come through to you. I think that that's just absolutely fascinating. And I love how much spirit is guiding you. I do too. I do
1: too. I see it all the time. And I do too. And then the patient in my book where I felt like I avoided a car accident. Yeah. And at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot my name tag. Like, <laughs> you know, got to turn back or they'll make me go get it anyway. And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, like I, that was... Meant to be the way that was, yeah. And so now I try to get not as annoyed. I'm like, okay, whatever's happening. (laughs)
0: Yes. You know, doing this work made you think of why we're here differently. Like, why do you think humans are here? What is this entire life experience for?
1: Yeah, I personally think that we all have a purpose on Earth, and I think that when we fulfill that purpose, that's when we leave. And I think some people, it does not take very long to do that. That's where I think the saying, only the good die young come from. Like, that's what I make of that. And then other people, it takes a little bit longer. I fully believe that. And sometimes, like you said, you were like, you have more stuff to do here. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is a lot of cool stuff I'm doing. I hope that doesn't mean that I'm going to die young. (laughs) (laughs) I think that too. So I was glad to hear you say that I have more stuff to do.
0: That is so wild. Spirit's saying to tell you. So, I had a daughter born with special needs when I was 30, and I spent age 30 to 33 building up a nonprofit for kids like her. And I remember once I got it built up, and my husband's like, You can't work for free anymore. You got to go back to work. Going into an angel reader and just saying, Oh my God, is my life over? Like, I'm going to pass away because that I know, like, I know, like, I know that's what I came to do. And she's like, Oh, Julie, no. She's like, That's just one of your purposes. And I like, you know, you said something now, and I think we need to make this a trending word, but you said your now purpose. And I was like, Oh, Bradley, that's amazing because that's what it is. Like this is your now purpose and then you're going to come in to your next now purpose and your next purpose and your next purpose. But I, I truly think that we, our purpose isn't one thing. It's a whole bunch of things stacked upon each other.
1: I totally agree. And that's what has really helped me whenever I have a younger patient. Um, Cause that is very difficult to, to deal with when you take care of patients your age or younger. And I just think of them, and I don't share this with the family or anything because, of course, they're grieving. They don't want to hear, you know, that. But just mentally, I think to myself, like, okay, they've done such a good job. You know, they are just amazing people, and they have done so much good for the world in a short amount of time.
0: One of the questions that was really hitting me hard before we got on, and I think that this is for people listening, but maybe also for my future self too. When you lose someone, like I cannot, gosh darn it. I'm just gonna say it like this. Sometimes you think to yourself, and I've heard John Mullaney joke about this. It's not really a joke, but kind of is, you know, there's people in your life you're like, mm, okay, if they go, like maybe not the hugest impact on my life, but then there's people like, oh my goodness, if I lost my mom or my daughter or my husband. I don't know how I would continue on. And I'm not sure that you know until you're in those moments. But how do people actually, it's gonna make me cry. Like, how do people actually go on after you lost like one of the greatest loves of your life? Yeah, I think it's
1: I think it's really, really difficult. There's a TED talk that I've watched about a million times by Nora McGenry. She's a widow. And she shared that she would basically get very annoyed with people telling her to move on Mm -hmm. and that she basically got this new mindset where she doesn't have to move on ever. She's Mm -hmm. remarried and she said, you know, my first husband, he is always with me. He is my first husband and I am not moved on and I will never move on. I have a wonderful husband now that I think he sent to me, but he's, my first husband is a part of our lives and I'm never going to move on, but that's okay. And I think that that is really important because I think a lot of people feel like, why am I not moving on? Why am I not doing okay still 20 years later? And I think instead of realizing, instead of thinking of it as this obstacle to overcome, I think that you should instead think of it as, I'm going to carry them with me. How can I just continue to go on and find purpose in my life? But I think that society has this expectation of moving on that is incredibly unrealistic and makes people feel like failures.
0: So I think what I'm hearing you say is that it's not a this or that, like this was my life and now it's going to be that. It's an and like you yeah. had your, your life, you had this beautiful life, you shared all of these memories with this person and your life is going to continue because you have purpose because God wants you to be here and you're going to carry that person in your heart by maybe lighting a candle for them at Thanksgiving and talking to them every day and making sure that their memory is kept alive here, but by continuing to allow yourself to grow and evolve
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a comma in your life story, not a period. That's really powerful. That's how I think of it, at least. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Have you kept in contact with some of the people, like their loved ones, who are still here? And what's the best way that they're continuing to keep in contact with their loved ones on the other side?
1: Yeah, I keep in contact mostly with grandkids that are my age on Facebook. They became Facebook friends with me. I'm not really sure if I'm allowed to do it, but I do it. So if my boss is listening (laughs) to this, I do that. (laughs) But that's kind of how I keep up with them and know what's going on. And they'll reach out to me every so often. You know, since I've been on social media, a lot have reached out to me and said, you know, this is how we're doing. It's so good to see you doing this. We're so proud of you. They're, They're so supportive, so amazing. And a lot of them, I'm also very proud of them. And, you know, being with them in those final moments, sometimes I have thought, like, is this person going to be okay? And seeing them find their purpose has been so amazing.
0: Nurse Hadley, you are an earth angel here. And I am just so proud of this book that you wrote, The In-Between. We are going to put this in the show notes. Where can people find more about you, the nonprofit that you're developing, and how they can help with that?
1: Awesome. Thank you. So nursehadley.com has everything. And then I'm on social media also as nurse Hadley.
0: Amazing. We'll put all of that in the show notes below. And we just want to thank you so much again for taking the time out to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Beautiful soul. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know, I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now, who's connecting with you and what messages they have for you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a session. You can do a reading with me or a member of my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life. If this sounds like you, virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website. Sign up today.